We're in this series called Going Deeper. We're studying the book of James, the first book that was ever written in uh, the New Testament. It's so powerful. It's the book of wisdom of the New Testament. And Pastor James is trying to teach us all about maturity and about how to grow and how to become strong and wise. And, and uh, he's, so, he's so profound. He's prolific. And he's given us a definition of the word maturity that we've been working on the entire time. And that, that idea is that to be a mature person, you have to submit to something that is bigger than you, something that's greater than you, that there is a God, there's a higher power, first of all, that's going to direct and control everything, and you're not him. And so uh, wisdom and maturity is coming to the place where it's not what I feel or what I think, but it's what uh, God has to say. Or in marriage, where we realize it's not just about me, but there is a vision of something that's greater than me that I submit myself to. And together we are on this journey together. Or whether it's a partnership or a church or any organization, the idea that there is a we that is greater than me, that's maturity. And so last week I started talking about uh, the tongue and about the words that we say and the seeds that we sow when we speak. And so today I want to go right into that same chapter, James chapter 3, and I want to lead us through that and see what James has to say about the immaturity of our speech and the seeds of peace that we need to sow. So let's continue with that. That's James, the uh, third chapter. Let's read it together. It's on the screen. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness or the humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not, this wisdom does not descend from above, the wisdom that's got bitter envy and self-seeking and all of that. It's earthly, it's sensual, or it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. It's from the evil one. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. That is so true. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, and gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And then this last verse is really important. Now, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the harvest of a good life, are sown in peace by those who would make peace. And that's my subject today, the seeds of peace. In every relationship, you're planting seeds. You're planting seeds of, of uh, kindness, of anger, of jealousy, of confidence, of insecurity, all these different kinds of seeds, and you will reap what you sow, and there's going to be a harvest at some point. So my question is, what is the future harvest of what you're sowing today in all of your relationships? And James cries out, who is wise and who is understanding among you? So let's jump into this today, and I know it's going to really help you. Uh, I have more to share today than out of all the messages uh, in the book of James so far, and I was spent hours and hours just cutting it down to get it into the time that we could share today. There's so much here, so I hope you'll grab a pen and a paper, and we'll go through this rather quickly today, but it's really going to be good. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you let your words flow through me. Give me uh, clarity of thought, fluency in my speech, the ability to hear you and to communicate what you're saying, that, that I could have the grace uh, to this opportunity to feed the flock of God. Give me the ability, Lord, to say what you're saying, and may it be specific and relevant to now, to a word specific to each person that's here, that they'll know that they heard from you and they'll be motivated to do what you say. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
A guy by the name of Barry Schwartz at a recent TED talk, he described the duties of a janitor in a hospital, and he gave this uh, description, and I want to put this up on the screen. Take a look at this. This is the, the, the duties of a hospital janitor. They're unremarkable. They'd be what you'd expect. There's probably more on that list than what you would imagine. But uh, the one thing I want you to notice in this very long list of uh, duties, there's not one thing on this list that involves human beings. Not one. This job description could just as easily be done in a mortuary as it is in a hospital. It could be done by a robot. But yet, when some psychologists sat down and began to interview and to discover what it is that these hospital janitors thought their job really entailed, they had some different stories to tell. For example, Mike, who talked about how he stopped mopping a floor because Mr. Jones was out of his bed getting some exercise, and he was trying to build up his strength by walking slowly up and down the hallways. And so he stopped doing his duties because he didn't want Mr. Jones to slip. Charlene told about how she did not vacuum the visitor's lounge on schedule as she was supposed to do because there was a family who had been grieving and who had been keeping vigil for days. And at this point, when she was scheduled to do her work, they were napping. So she decided it was not an appropriate time to do the cleaning. And so she passed on. Or Luke, who had mopped the floor of a comatose young man whose father had been watching over him and got angry with him because he didn't see him mop the floor the first time. So without any argument or any kind of resistance, he simply said, yes, sir, and went in and mopped the floor for a second time. These were not on their job description. Nobody told them to do this, but they just had an innate sense of what I hear James calling out to all of us for today. Is there any wise and understanding among you? They had wisdom the ability to know to do the right thing, even though it was maybe the wrong thing technically, but at the right time, they did things for the right reason. Wisdom, knowing how to treat others in a situation the way we would want to be treated in spite of necessarily the rules. Wisdom has so much more to do with character in our relationships than it has to do with education or intelligence because we can know what to do, but if we don't know how to sow the seeds of peace, if we don't know how to relate well with people, if all we have is knowledge which causes pride, we will miss wisdom because wisdom is born out of humility. And so this all sounds like common sense to us, but yet common sense is not so common anymore because you can be very smart and be very unwise. You can have a lot of degrees but have very little development in the area of wisdom. Wisdom has nothing to do with intelligence because you were not born wise. Nobody is born with wisdom. I mean, you can be born with a high IQ, you can be born with good aptitude, but wisdom is learned. Wisdom is taught. Imagine Pastor James right now asking the question then to all of you, who here is wise among you? And don't raise your hand because it's a trick question. <laughs> the person who would identify and say, well, I'm wise is truly the unwise because James immediately says that it's not really what you say, it's not really what you claim, it's how do you behave when you're with other people? How do you, how do you deal with relationships? What is the quality? What is the wake? What is the conduct that we can look at that shows that you are wise? Now, if James is the book of wisdom in the New Testament, the book of wisdom in the Old Testament is the book of Psalms, or Proverbs. And Proverbs begins to list all of the qualities of what wisdom really is. Number one, uh, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom. So the idea of reverence, the idea that there's something bigger than me that I submit to, a humble, submissive, teachable attitude is the beginning of wisdom. The wisest man in the world, Solomon, who wrote this, he said in Proverbs 12:1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I know some of you are trying to make sure your kids don't say that word, but the wisest guy in the world said, he who hates correction is stupid. So wisdom is not just having experience, because many people have many experiences, but they didn't learn from them. Wisdom comes through having a teachable attitude. And so giftedness, talent, dime a dozen. I've seen people that have all kinds of talent and ability, exceptional intellects, they're brilliant, but they do not have wisdom. Everyone has things that they're good at. Everyone has qualities and skills, but you know, without wisdom, those may never be developed and they'll never be expressed. Some of the greatest failures on this earth are people with the most exceptional talents. Wouldn't you agree? And there are people, oh, hello? <laughs> And there are people that have exceptional, uh, you know, attitudes that really don't have the greatest uh, abilities necessarily, but their attitude took them to their greatest success. You see, I would choose someone that had um, exceptional attitude over, over um, the, the most highly skilled person anytime. The number one quality I'm looking for is a person with a teachable attitude. And truly, to be a disciple of Jesus, the word disciple means learner. And when you say Lord, you're talking about the word master, the idea that there's a master teacher, there's someone who is greater, who is wiser, who is smarter than me, to which I submit myself under and become a learner or a disciple of. So you can't even be a disciple of Jesus without having a teachable spirit. Your spiritual maturity is 100% dependent upon your willingness and your desire to learn. So you get to decide if you're going to be wise or not. I think that's the takeaway here. You get to choose if you're going to be wise or you're going to be a fool. Wisdom isn't born. It's learned. And you get to decide if you're going to be a wise person based on how willing you are uh, to be taught, to learn, to, and to receive instruction and correction. You say, well, I don't know about that. Some people just seem wiser than me. Well, here's the thing. We're not only the product of our own choices, we're the product of that which has been passed down to us. Deuteronomy 5.9 says that the iniquities of the parents are visited upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. And all that scripture is simply saying is what's true, that parents are the most influential people in our lives. And inadvertently, they will pass down, they will model or mismodel behavior in front of their children that their children are going to pick up. So the word iniquity simply means a bent or a proclivity or, a, or, a, or a, a leaning towards a certain kind of negative behavior that was passed down from the parents. And so if your parents were unteachable, if they were resistant, if they were proud and no one was going to tell them what to do, chances are that you inherited that same spirit and it's still in you today. And it's a very selective, sort of a, a very segregated kind of a spirit because you can be very teachable in one thing. Like you could say, I'm very teachable in sports. You are excellent at being coached. But when it comes to being teachable in your marriage, you're completely unteachable. You see, we can be selective like that. When it comes to the things of God, unteachable, very teachable in other areas. All I'm saying is, is that at some point in your life, the places where you've had your greatest successes in life came from a place where you knew 
that you were receiving instruction, you were teaching, you were being taught, you had a willingness to learn. And every area of chronic defeat, places where you kept hitting the wall and you keep making the same mistakes over, chances are you got that, you received that from your family of origin. And that, will, that unwillingness to learn, that resistance that is there within all of us. And so every one of our lives in this room, we have the ability to be wise or the ability to be a fool. And it depends on whether we're teachable or not. A willingness on our part to accept instruction and to learn will make you wise. But an area of chronic defeat or failure is an indicator that you are not learning the lessons that are being taught to us and we're unteachable. So you see the greatest gift that you could give to yourself the greatest gift you could give to the people in your lives and the greatest gift that you could give to God is a teachable spirit. Because if you have a teachable spirit, you can be led into the blessing of God in your life. Now, James also tells us right here in verse 17 that if you lack wisdom, that you will be led into every kind of problem and disorder and chaos. Look at the converse in verse 17, where, or verse 14, where he says, uh, if you have bitter envy or self-seeking in your heart, let me translate that for today. If you want what you want, when you want it, and nobody's going to tell you any differently, that's what he's saying. If it's all about you and about what you want and you feel and no one can talk to you, he says, that's not wisdom. He says, that wisdom didn't come from God at all. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. It, it came from the devil, who was the first one, you remember, in the garden, who says, yeah, go ahead, do exactly what you want to do, and let nobody tell you any differently. That spirit is of this earth. It's not from God. And he says, where envy and coveting and self-seeking, all about me kind of thinking exist, there will be confusion. Every evil thing will be there. So listen again, lack of wisdom. The translation you should see in your life if there's a lack of wisdom, disorder, chaos, confusion, problems, failure, chronic failure. I'm describing somebody's life. I'm describing a lot of what our country looks like today because of an inability and unwillingness for people to be teachable. I want to do what I want to do and nobody's going to tell me any differently. And so I heard Jimmy Evans talk about the five characteristics of an unteachable spirit, and I thought I would share those with you today. And you might want to write these down. How do you know if you're unteachable in some area or you're just a generally unteachable person? Let this be a test and, and question yourself and say, am I unteachable? Do I have an unteachable spirit? The first one is this, chronic failure. If you keep experiencing failure, and I don't mean like failing because everybody Everybody fails at this or that. We try, we don't succeed here and there, that's okay. It's chronic failure though. It's repeated failure over and over and over again in a specific area like money or our relationships or our emotions or, or disciplines or habits that we can't break. Chronic failure means that we are not learning the lessons and we have an unteachable spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, God says that he will guide you into all truth. And church people think that means that he'll teach you about the Bible. <laughs> but he says all truth. If you have the heart to learn and if you'll have the heart to ask God, God, teach me. Teach me about everything. God, teach me how to be a good husband. God, teach me how to be a good wife. Teach me. If you'll be open to, act, to letting him teach you, if you're open to instruction, the information is available. The question is, are you looking for it? Are you, or do you even want to? Or do you know everything there is to know? Number two, an argumentative or a, or a defensive nature. Like nobody can talk to you. Nobody can say anything to you. Somebody says that, hey, you know, you might want to do it this way. 
a, an argumentative, a, a defensive, resistant nature. Is that you? Dr. John Gottman at the University of Washington, this is a groundbreaking study over the last 10 years, not a Christian study, but he can now talk to couples, and through his research, he can now predict divorce with a 94% accuracy through his conversation, through his process of talking to couples. This is, that should be scary, but listen, this is, this is real research. You can take a look, look it up for yourself. Here are the four predictors of divorce in a marriage. Let me give them to you one at a time. Number one, just over-excessive criticism. Uh, uh, just an over amount of negativity, no praising, always focusing on the negative, criticizing. If that's going on, it's one of the indicators. Number two, defensiveness. Nobody can say anything to the other person. There's an inability. I mean, there is no we. The, the, the whole we-ness of us is not there. It's just about me versus you. And I'm not going to let you tell me anything. And the spouse has no ability to communicate what they are experiencing. Number two. Number three, contempt. And contempt is simply uh, unforgiveness, aged anger, uh, bitterness and hardness of heart, and the fourth being stonewalling, which is, uh, I'm not even going to talk about this anymore. I'm done talking. Whatever, 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 I'm, I'm done. And he can predict with a 94% accuracy, a couple that responds this way, he can say, you're headed for trouble. Now, it's interesting that two out of the four predictors for divorce have to do with the inability to receive feedback or criticism of any kind. You can't be successful if you are unwilling to receive correction or criticism or feedback in anything. You can't have a successful friendship. I mean, what kind of a friendship is it really if the person has to walk on eggshells and really can't talk to you like a friend? What kind of friendship is that? The most successful athletes in the world are always surrounded by their coaches and by their trainers who would say, hey, adjust this, do this. No, that's not right. Do it this way. Even at the highest levels, you'll find Tiger Woods with his swing coach, his teacher at the sidelines telling him what to do. The most su successful people financially, you'll always spot them with a multitude of mentors and counselors. And yet other people won't even pick up a book and read. They won't sign up for financial peace that's offered to them. I mean, because I don't have everything. I don't need it. I don't need that. I, I'm going to figure it out on my own. I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't want any feedback, no criticism. What, what is that? You cannot be successful in life without the ability to receive that. And so my question is, is there anybody that can talk to you and tell you the truth? Have you submitted yourself to anyone and says, you know what, pull me off the edge if you see me do something wrong. As your pastor, I, this is what I want to do for you every week. And I'd be, you're, I'm amazed at how, as I, as, I, as I seek to love people by telling them the truth, for some, that means the cutoff of the relationship. That means, well, if you're going to tell me that, I want to listen to you. What is that in you that says, I am so defensive that I'm unwilling to even listen to information that will help me? So... This becomes a predictor of your future. If you don't have a teachable spirit, if you have an unwillingness to receive correction, it's not going to go well. Let me give you a third one. The isolation and withdrawing in times of difficulty. In other words, I get in trouble. I, don't want, I put the walls down. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'll figure it out on my own. This even relates to as we deal with God. I'm not talking to him. I'll get myself out of this. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. Take a look at this. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment or counsel. 
A fool has no delight in understanding but expressing his own heart. That is so true. That is the real deal right there. I I don't want to hear what you have to say. I know what I think. (laughs) I know what I think, so I'll figure it out on my own. Listen, whenever we go through difficult times, what we should do is reach out for help. Wise people do that. Wise people look for support. Getting help is not a sign of weakness. Getting help is the wise thing to do. The unwise hide. The unwise put a face on and say everything's good. The wise people are looking for counsel and wisdom and direction. And they're honest about what's not working so someone can speak into that. Listen, everybody has stuff that's going on. Let me just say it again. All y'all, all of us have something that's going on in our life that is not working the way we want it to work. All of us. And the wise find people that they can practice the discipline of learning with. Listen to me again. The wise people find people that they can practice. It's, it's a safe place for me to practice, like integrity. None of us have perfect integrity. There are places in our life where publicly we are different than our private self. So the wise who wants to bring that, integrity means to be whole, to be, to be one, one person. So the wise says, you know, I don't want to have these two separate worlds. I want to bring that into a wholeness. So I find people that I can say, this is who I want to be, and I want you to speak into my life so I can become this way. That's integrity. That's accountability. That's, that's the, what the wise do. And listen, I do this. I'm not going to pretend to you that I don't have areas in my life that I need to have help with. All of us need people in our lives that will speak the truth to us and that we allow into our lives to help us to move forward. But if we drop the walls down, we say, I don't want to hear from anybody, it's an unwise thing to do, and it is an indicator of an unteachable spirit. The fourth one, the inability to, to, you know, you just put blame on everybody else. Uh, The blame transfer, number four. He made me do it. She did it. It's all his fault. They, you know, the devil, (laughs) everybody else is the one at fault. Let me give you a fifth one. Uh, Surrounding yourselves with people who agree with you and feeling threatened by people who have different opinions than you. Let me say that one again. Look at that one real closely and ask yourself the question, am I threatened? Do I surround myself only with people who agree with me and I feel threatened by people of differing opinions? I want people of different persuasions, different cultures, different backgrounds, different perspectives, different gifts, different streams in the body of Christ. I want to be around all those people. I want our church to be like that because, you know, when we all come together, then we have the mind of God. That's when we have the mind of God. If you surround yourself with all people who just see the same way as you, who think the same way as you, who believe the same way as you, who just who, who, who look like you, who have the same personality, I mean, you'll just keep on making the same mistakes over and over in life, and everybody will be making them with you, and nobody ever grows because we all see it the same way. There's nothing, there's no other perspectives to be, to be taught. And so what is it that makes us unteachable? What is it that's going on that makes us respond like this? Well, it's that inner sin nature that we all have. Isaiah said it well. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. I'm going to do what I want to do, and no one's going to tell me any differently. And that attitude is pervasive. So the wise person recognizes that that is there, and I have to do some things specifically to overcome the inner drive that is within me. I'm going to have to submit myself to some sort of power (laughs) 
Do you understand what James has been saying all along? I have to submit to something that's greater than me that's going to pull me towards wisdom because the wisdom that's within me is going to lead me into a path of destruction. The Bible says this, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is James. He's going to say this in chapter 4. God, God not only says that you're unwise and you're headed for destruction, but he says he actively resists the proud. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's guaranteed that there will be problems. So a teachable spirit, the most important thing to cultivate. Now, all of this to say James is going to go through a list of about six things that are the characteristics of the wise. But we cannot attain these things unless we have a teachable spirit. So now that we've focused on all the things that keep us from being teachable, let's move quickly to chapter, uh, verse 17, and look at the characteristics of what it means to be wise. And it starts off with this incredible humility, really. You know, humility. What are the marks of a humble person? Number one, they're first of all pure. They're authentic. They are true. They tell and speak the truth. I won't lie to you. I won't cheat with you. I have a desire not to manipulate you. I don't want there to be deceit. I want my words to be the truth. And again, I'm going to look for people in my life. I'm going to invite people in my life to bring that sort of purity in my speech. That's why I say to you all the time, and the wise people understand what I'm saying when I say this, that this is the guilt-free zone. And some people have a hard time with that, but it's the unwise who do. Because a wise person recognizes that we need to create a place where we can practice being disciples of Jesus, where we freely admit, I'm not all there yet. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not all that I should be yet. But there is no more pretending. I will be a person of integrity. And this is a safe place in which to do that. That's what it means, that Christ has forgiven us, and we have no fear of condemnation, those of us who are in Christ. And now we're going to practice being people of integrity. Wisdom is, first of all, pure. Secondly, he says it's peaceable. It's peaceable. You will not antagonize people intentionally. Don't be looking for a fight all the time. Don't be looking for the argument. You don't have to say what you think you have to say. You could restrain yourself. The, but the book of Proverbs uh, says this, that um, any fool can start arguments. <laughs> What is it that causes arguments? Well, criticism, uh, defensiveness, uh, contempt, stonewalling, whatever. Those are the things that cause the arguments. So are you sowing seeds of peace? He says wisdom is gentle. What is gentleness? You know what gentleness is? Gentleness is um, consideration, just being considerate of the feelings of others then wisdom is willing to yield. It's submissive. It sees the bigger vision of we over me. You see, the wise recognize that God is at work in the world. Wise people say, you know what, God? I want to be where you're working. I want to do, I want to move myself and be a part of what you're doing. And I'm willing to make the adjustments in my life to join you in your work. That's a person who's willing to yield to the Holy Spirit. Wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. It means I will treat others the way that I want to be treated. I will be merciful. I will, I will receive and give mercy. It's not just what I say. I will be merciful to others as I need mercy. And finally, wisdom is without hypocrisy or partiality. In other words, it doesn't pretend. We humbly admit when we need help. We humbly admit when we make mistakes. We're teachable people. 
This past Friday, I was driving up on I-69, got off at exit 10, and I stopped behind a big truck, and I watched a lady come to the intersection, drive right over the white line where you're supposed to stop and actually park in front of it. Apparently didn't realize you're supposed to submit to the white line on the, at the intersection. So she pulled way out, she stopped. The truck tried to make its big left turn, couldn't do that, got all the way out in the, in the middle and couldn't, got stuck because she was too far out. So the guy in the truck rolls his window down and tells the lady in the car, you need to back up. That's what the white line is for. You should back up behind the line. I watched two people get totally unhinged in front of me for the next five minutes. Him talking to her, she was not going to back down. She was not going to admit. Finally, she just went, and she drove her car literally out farther, drove around the truck and went on her way. And I hear James calling out in our ears, is there anyone wise or understanding among you? I mean, you know, you're, you're smart enough to operate the car, but you're not wise enough to be on the road. <laughs> and you see, there's something about that story that really epitomizes everything I'm saying today, right? Because, yes, I want to be wise, but just let somebody bring a little bit of instruction. Hey, you should probably be back behind the line. And I want to ask the question, are you an unteachable person? Or do you receive? Are you, are you saying, God, I need, I need to be corrected. I need wisdom. I need instruction. Or do you come up with all kinds of excuses like, well, you know, you're a woman, you're a man, uh, you're a girl, you're, you're too young, you're too old, you don't know what you're talking about, you couldn't possibly relate to me. So we use that as an excuse to rationalize why we don't listen to the instruction and just keep doing whatever it is we're going to do because we're right. This is the crisis of our nation today. And this, this, this has to begin with the house of God. The people of God, it has to begin with us where we will say, God, we admit that we we don't know everything, that we don't understand it all, and our eyes are on you, and give us teachable spirits, and give us the ability to grow, and let us receive all instructions. The proverb says, rebuke a wise man, and he will love you for it. May that be true of us. Teach us, God. Make us wise. Do you receive this today? All right, let's pray together. Now ask yourself this question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to me? And are you wise? Where in your life do you need wisdom? Where in your life do you need wisdom from God? If you need wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you. Admit, say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus Christ, put your thoughts in my mind. Say your words in my mouth. Will you be my teacher? And will you put good teachers into my life? Make me humble and give me the spirit to learn because I want to be wise more than anything else. Help me to sow the seeds of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. And before I turn it over to uh, John, who's going to take us out today, we're trying to practice this as a church. We're trying to, to seek counsel and wisdom. We as your leaders really believe that God is directing us on where we're going next as a church, but, but we've paused. We haven't gone into the, into the tactics and the, the operational plans because we need to pause and gather wisdom from every person who's a part of this church.